know the difference between mediocre leadership and exceptional leadership is constantly and continually identifying your own strengths and weaknesses and filling the gaps. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. So good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? All right, so take care of some business first, if that's okay. Everybody have the hand out in front of you. So this is like anything in life, right? You're going to get out of this what you want to get out of this. That's essentially an outline of everything I'm going to talk about today. Maybe some extra stuff, so feel free to grade yourself, self-assess, see if there's ways you can improve the way you communicate, inspire, motivate, not only yourself, but those around you. Sound good? All right, so since we're going to spend a lot of time together, we might as well start off with a joke. It was President Reagan's favorite joke, and he said it every day, so I figure I could say it every once in a while. And it was the optimist-pessimist joke. And it was a story about a father who had two boys. One was the eternal optimist, and one was the eternal pessimist. So like any good father, he's like, shoot, I need to come up with a solution to this. So he racks his brains, he talks to his friends, family, and coworkers, and finally comes up with a solution. So he takes the pessimist kid, the, the negative one, and he fills his room with toys clear to the top. He takes the optimist, the positive one, and he fills his room with horse manure clear to the top. He takes the boys, he locks them in the room, he waits 15 minutes, he's so excited to see the results. So he goes to the pessimist door first, he flings open the door. There are the boys in the corner cowering, crying. He's like, what are you doing? Look at all these toys. He goes, daddy, clearly one of them's not gonna work, or it's gonna be broken, or it's gonna need batteries. It's just horrible, horrible. Dad throws his hands up in the air, doesn't know what to do, the kid's always negative. He goes to the optimist door, flings open the door. There are the boys in the manure, digging, laughing hysterically, having the greatest time of his life. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, daddy, with all this manure, there has to be a pony in here somewhere. Now, my friends, we all have employees, don't we? We have clients, we even have families. What is there a lot of in life? Manure. And here's what I loved about President Reagan. It was this undying optimism that America's best days were yet ahead, that with the right leadership, anything was possible. And by the way, we all define what the pony is differently. I guarantee it, right? If we went around this room, could be more travel, less travel, could be a bigger home, smaller home, could be a dream travel destination, a dream vehicle, whatever it is, we set that goal. Well, my goal today, let's see if we can get this going, is to paint a vivid picture of what real leadership looks like. Ultimately, okay, ultimately empowering you to be the effective CEO of yourself. And what do I mean by that? When I talk about self, I'm talking about your success story, and we're gonna build one this morning, emotional intelligence, leadership, and in the end, the most important to me, fun. So let's start with success story. All right, so look, you don't know me, right? We just met. But I have a very Norwegian background. So I have a Grandpa Gunder, Gra Grandpa Enoch, Grandma Trina, Uncle Torfin, like very Norwegian. But I also love history. And if you look at Viking history, do you know that they didn't have a written language? And so guess who wrote their story? It was the Christian missionaries, the Christian monks. And so guess what they were called? Barbarians. At a time when they could have been called progressive, do you know that women in Viking culture could actually own land that was unheard of at the time. They could divorce their husbands and keep the land. Again, almost unheard of. They trained side by side with the men like warriors, like special forces warriors. You know what they were, they were called? Shield maidens. So at a time when they could have been called progressive, they were called barbarians because they weren't writing their own story. So you were responsible for the story, to be the keeper of your own story. And so what story are you telling? And is that a yes and or yes but story? See everybody, I'm convinced, I have a theory. I'm convinced that when you leave this room, when you leave your company, ultimately one day when you leave this earth, you will be remembered by the story that you told about yourself and nothing different. So what story are you telling? 
And is it that yes and or yes but? And I'll give you an example. I'll use two presidents, two US presidents. Reagan and Nixon, and I will argue that Reagan was yes and, and Nixon was yes but, and because of that history views him very differently. So Reagan would say, yes, I was poor, and I was emotionally wealthy. Yes, I had a hard time dealing with a tough Congress, and that gave me alternative viewpoints to choose from. See, Nixon was writing a different story. Nixon would say, yes, I went to college, but I didn't go to an Ivy League school, and that's why the elites went. Yes, I was president, but I had enemies. He was writing a different story. And to show you how this works in the real world, uh, we also have, uh, I live in Los Angeles, but we also have a home in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Go back a few years ago, I'm sitting on the lacrosse you know, fields with my younger son. One of the older, my older son's friends walks by, he was a junior in high school at the time. You know how you're just hanging out talking to parents, I see this kid and I'm like, hey man, how you doing? He goes, just okay, Mr. Quiggle, and he puts his head down. And like right away, I'm like, okay, that's weird. Like it just, you know how right away you, you can tell something's wrong. So I took a step away from the parents, I, or, you know, and I said, hey, look, you start to look at colleges and he goes, well, actually, Mr. Quiggle, I'm thinking of taking a year off from school. I'm like, a year off from high school? Last time I checked, that's called dropping out. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about, right? So now I'm legitimately concerned for this kid. So I, I excuse myself from the parents. I hunt this kid down like 15 feet away. And I said, hey, look, I'm not going to preach to you without permission. That was a pretty important statement you just said to me. Are you okay? And he starts to tell me his problems. He used to have a 3.5 GPA. Now it's a 2.5. His parents are upset him for the grades. His girlfriend just broke up with him. You know, problems we would love to have back, right? But at the time, they seem legitimately important. So I listened. And finally, I said, hey, look, you write the story of your own success. And I told him the whole yes and yes but thing. I said, are you going to let it be written for you? Poor so-and-so drops out of high school. Or are you going to write a new story that starts today that said, yes, I had a hard time. And now I'm on my way back. Because all believe it. Your friends will believe it. The family will believe it if you believe it. So he goes off as a cross practice. I go off to my sons. An hour later, I'm leaving the field. And I see this kid out of the corner of my eye like a football field away. And he's running toward me. He gets like 100 feet from me. He goes, Mr. Quiggle. I turn around. He goes, yes and thank you. And he runs all the way back. Now look, everybody, we can only do what we can do. Here's the reality. Your employees, they're listening. The clients, listening. The members, listening. The family, are you kidding me? Everyone in this room, they are hanging on your every word listening to the story that you tell. And it's so easy to get that yes, but mode, but the weather, but the economy, but the elections, but we can't control those things. What is the one and only thing we can control? Everybody say it. Yes. So as your first opportunity, grade yourself, open up that handout, if you don't mind. That first step, which says yes and yes, but. If you are telling a perfect story, congratulations, give yourself a five, you deserve it. If you've slipped a little, judge accordingly. See everyone, my story starts from the very beginning. I was born an entrepreneur. You say, Dan, how do you know this? I was a month and a half early. I only weighed four pounds. They wanted to put me in an incubator, but I fought against it. No machine or federal government needs to keep Dan Quigg alive, and I did not need that incubator, and I think that deserves a nice round of applause. Come on, individual responsibility. And by the way, you know that's not me. It's just a better baby picture than my own. Come on, you know, mine would be in black and white. They didn't even have color back in those days. Um, I grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles. In between my home and my elementary school was a 7-Eleven. And I want full credit for this story, starting day one of first grade and every single day after that, I'd stop at that 7-Eleven every morning. I would buy as many Jolly Rancher hard candies as I could buy. I would hold them until the mark was ripe just for lunch, when I knew everybody would be hungry. And then I'd let it be known that I had these Jolly Rancher hard candies, and I'd sell them for three, four, sometimes, God willing, are you ready? 500% profit. Come on, in the first grade, everybody, I, I was an entrepreneur even back in the day. Uh, 
I grew up, you know, I playing sports, and I will admit, I don't know if you guys ever look back in your life and you're embarrassed about the way you talked, walked, dressed. For me, high school for sure. Like everybody, I cringe when I think about myself during high school because I was an athlete. Um, and I had the attitude like I was an athlete, like I thought the world revolved around me. I thought I was the coolest thing ever. Well, just for my junior in high school, a debate coach comes to the school. And you know, I played, I played water polo and basketball, the two uh, most popular sports at our school. Well, just for my junior, this debate coach comes, he's like, Dan, you should join the debate team. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think you know who I am. <laughs> but I'm an athlete, I can't be caught debating. I have a reputation, it'd ruin everything. So like any good debate coach, this guy starts stalking me, like doing some research. So I come around the corner one day and he goes, Dan Quiggle, I understand that you like Ronald Reagan. I said, I do love the president. He said, if you ever wanna articulate the message like he does, if you ever wanna fight for the principles like he does, if you ever wanna communicate like the great communicator, you will join the debate team. I'm like, I need to join the debate team. Well, it's funny how life goes because what I am I going to college on? A debate scholarship. Interesting how life has its twists and turns. You never know where you're gonna end up, do you? So I ended up going to the best university in the entire country, UCLA. Okay, good, we're all in agreement. Whoa, 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 whoa. You all look so intelligent. I thought for sure you'd agree with me on that. Uh, so I become president of the UCLA College Republican Club. Who's president at the time? Ronald Reagan. Where did Reagan like to go while he was president? Los Angeles. So I started getting calls from White House staff. Dan, we're gonna be in LA. Can you grab 20 volunteers, drive in motorcades, carry bags? Heck yeah. <clears throat> Every single time I did, I'd get you know, business cards from the dignitaries, the staff, send out handwritten letters that day. It was a pleasure meeting you. If I can help you in the future, please let me know. Sincerely, Dan Quiggle. The more people I met, the more letters went out. What was I doing, everybody? Networking, it's like anything in life. You show a little love, a little extra attention. What usually happens? Good things. So two weeks before President Reagan gets out of office, I got the call I was hoping for, and they said, Dan, how would you like the opportunity of a lifetime? And I'm like, yes, of course. And they said, how'd you come work up in President Reagan's office? So I started February 6, 1989, days after he left office. You know the movie Die Hard with Bruce Willis? He had the whole top floor of that building, Fox Plaza in Los Angeles. The year and a half that I was directly in the office, Mother Teresa, Malcolm Forbes, Gorbachev, Margaret Thatcher, every single day was this crazy front row seat to history. And he went from a staff of hundreds and hundreds to 12. And 11 came from the White House. So we'd get to see him every day, get pictures in between all these people with the president. Matter of fact, I'll just admit it. I would get the schedule each day, act very calm, cool, collected like it was normal. Go to my office, shut the door, call my mom and go, you have no idea who's coming in today. She's like, tell me everything. And I'm like, you know, because this is a schedule, a real schedule for one day. Queen Elizabeth, Bo Derek, Tom Selleck, Wayne Gretzky. That was one day. I mean, it's just sort of this crazy eclectic group. And um, no, no laughing at this next picture, okay? Uh, to show you how time takes its toll on the body. Uh, this is me day one, February 6th. You're like, are you still alive? You look so old now. Yes, I feel old. My hips hurt, my knees hurt. Okay, that's a problem of life. Um, you see cake on the table. We just got done singing happy birthday to the president. Again, no laughing at the next picture. Uh, this picture was taken at Dulles Airport. Parked right here is Malcolm Forbes Private 727. Uh, so we get to fly around in all these cool jets. Uh, he just got the Medal of Freedom. We had just left the White House. Um, and then on a, on a personal side note, I have three kids, a 24-year-old son, graduated from Pepperdine a couple years ago. Uh, neat side story, my 22-year-old daughter plays on the US Olympic team and is on the pro tour for two-on-two -two women's beach volleyball. I just got um, a top 10 at the tour in Los Angeles. Uh, and then we have a 15-year-old uh, little surfer water polo player. Well, my 24-year-old there on the left, this is him playing on the floor in President Reagan's office. And we have this framed at the house with a handwritten letter to Justin from the president on the day he was born. It says, Dear Justin, welcome. Your rival is cause for great joy. Trust in God. Believe in our Constitution. You will have a special life. Look, for a political hack, 
I love all that stuff, you guys. Sorry about that. All right, enough of that. All right, so I started my first business when I was 22. So imagine if my wife's family grew up economically up here, I grew up way, way, way down here. So my dad didn't have a high school or college education. Um, we didn't know any better. We thought everybody lived in 1,100 square feet with six people, right? You just share bedrooms and bathrooms, and you know that's what you do, right? Well, when I met my wife's family in the Potomac, Maryland area of Washington, D.C., I'm like, this is not a hotel. One family lives in this building. They're like, yeah, that's our house. I'm like, okay, very different from the way I grew up. Well, at the end of that neighborhood were these huge mega mansions. And I remember I was, you know, starry-eyed kid, right? I'm like, who lives in that one? And they go, it's a friend of ours. You should go introduce yourself. We've told them all about you. So I walk down the street one night, knock on this guy's door. He answers the door. I'm like, you know, Dan Quiggle, I'm supposed to come introduce myself. And he goes, oh, and he goes, oh I've heard all about you. I said, but before we start, what do you do? And he goes, I own a vending machine company. I'm like, this is the house that vending machines built? I said, I want to go into the vending business. I said, let me come work for you. I'll learn the business. He goes, Dan, I'd pay you $5 an hour. You don't want that. He said, no, you're right. I don't want $5 an hour. I said, well, what if I start my own company? Will you help me? Everyone, if you can imagine on that doorstep that day, talk about life changing. He actually said yes. And five years later, we're bigger than he was. And he'd always go, ah, the teacher's being taught. Why am I such great friends with that guy to this day? Why does his wife, why does he say it was the best thing that ever happened in business? What was wrong with him at the time, everybody? He was what? What do you think? He was what? Complacent jaded, bored, whatever term you want to use. When he starts seeing my growth, what happened to him? He got the fire in the belly, right? He's like, I'm not going to let this punk kid beat me. He started growing that business again. We added value to each other. Um, ended up selling that business in a giant roll-up into Canteen. Uh, moved to Florida, ran for Congress up near Jacksonville in the Ponte Vedra area. Uh, didn't win, raised almost a million dollars. Pretty exciting process. Met a lot of people. Ended up starting a bank and trust company. Sold that. In 2002, I started a company I still own. Um, America's Choice Title Company. In 2006, we made the ink list. We're the second fast-growing title agency in America. Everybody, come on, you're in Florida. What do you think my real estate title agency in Florida looked like in 2007, 2008? If I was on the 30th floor of a building, I could accurately show you the chart as we just like drop out of a window and go straight down. Talk about a humbling, gut-wrenching experience. When you go from hero to zero very quickly, when you go from hiring everyone you meet to firing almost everyone you have. And I don't need to tell you, you've been through markets like that. It, it, it's, it hurts, doesn't it? It's hard. Because you think you could sell through anything, lead through everything, manage through everything. And then you find out that, you know, there was nothing. But we survived. And we hunkered down. We, you know, got our expenses in check. I remember I called, you know how I survived? I wish I could stand up here and say, oh, I'm some sort of genius, that's why we survived. No, no, it was one call in June of 2006 to a business mentor friend of mine, a man much smarter than me. You know what he said? I said, hey, Ron, it doesn't look good. And you know what he said? Oh, Dan, it's not going to be good, and you better start cutting with a very, very sharp knife. Oh, my gosh, if I would not have listened to him, we would not exist today. There's no doubt in my mind. Because we'd had one, two, three months, we'd lost six, eight million dollars, we'd have just bled out. Instead, I actually listened to him. And we we're closing down offices, making tough decisions, but then the market turned and we survived. And who'd my competitors fire first? Everybody, salespeople. Who was I gonna fire last? Because when you stop selling, you what? Typically, you die. So still have that business. Quick side note, left it five years ago to my vice president, made her president. We've had, what, three record-breaking years. I was there four days, one year, three days the year before last, and two days last year. If that does not prove everyone in this room that you are only as good as the people you surround yourself with, I don't know what does. I feel great only because I have great people, and it matters, doesn't it? I also have a company called Freebird Rides. I'm one of the owner investors, and it helps make Uber free. It's a technology company. 
Why is all this important? Look, where you come from shapes you are. We're all different, everyone in this room, and that should be celebrated. But you know the difference between mediocre leadership and exceptional leadership is constantly and continually identifying your own strengths and weaknesses and filling the gaps. President Reagan would have been the first to admit, I may not be the smartest one in the room. I don't have to be. I just have to be smart enough to get the smartest from here and here and here, and all of a sudden, what do I have? I have a brain trust surrounding me, making me better, making me stronger. He wasn't threatened by people smarter than him, thrived off of it. Bring them to me. My goal today is to get you to understand this. How you choose to live your life from this day on will be how you will write the story of your success. It doesn't matter, I mean, you can't change this morning, gone, yesterday, gone, from right now. And so what is your success story? So real quick, if I point to you, okay, because I met some of you, if I point to you, tell me what you do for a living, okay? Beverage manager. General manager. manager. What is it? Clubhouse Clubhouse manager. General manager. Okay. All right, one more. Okay. Everyone, do you know that 20 years ago we had a 20-minute attention span? Guess what it is today, according to Google? Eight seconds. That's real. They test it all the time. Matter of fact, just six months ago, it was nine seconds. They adjusted it six months ago to eight seconds, which means what? If you are not interesting, fascinating, intriguing, magnetic in eight seconds, they will swipe by you, swipe by your family, swipe by your salespeople, swipe by your company. Look, no disrespect to anyone that I just called out for a second. I apologize for doing that, but I just want to prove a point. And don't think this is unique. Like, when I asked them what they did, what did everyone tell me what they did for a living? After today, never, ever tell somebody what you do. Tell them how you change the world. Tell them how you make a difference in society. Tell them how you impact families and create unbelievable environments for people where they get to play and be part, you know, have time with their kids and, and enjoy life. Because that's what you do. Look what industry you're in. So we're gonna play a game for a minute. I want everybody to play, right? So we're gonna build a success slogan that will catch somebody in eight seconds. Sound good? All right, so turn the page where it says Quiggle Assessment at the top. Okay? So I want you to circle one of those six boxes, the box that you think represents you the best. And you gotta pick one, just pick one. And I want you to do it from the gut, so don't overthink it, but just which box do you think represents you the best? Okay, try to do it with the next five or 10 seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Everybody do it? All right, I want you to write in the box underneath that which one you are, okay? So if you, if you circled A, put creator in that box where it says what's your success symbol. So right now, everybody, we're on page four. You circled the box at the top. On number two, you wrote in which one you were. Any, any royals in the room? Okay, a couple. What about analysts? Any analysts? Oh, just a few. Guardians? Raise your hand, tall so I can see it. Cre- uh, directors? Explorers? And, and creators? Oh, nice, evenly divided, interesting. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Do you see that sheet that they handed out separate to you that has the six success symbols at the top? Okay, it looks like this, if you can see it. 
I want you right now, this is what it looks like in color, okay? I want you right now to take five adjectives from your line and write them beneath where you wrote your success. So see those five lines on page four at the bottom? From your line. So if you, were, if you were the guardian, take them from that yellow line, or where it says guardian, going down. If you're the analyst, take them from the green line, or, or where it says analyst, going down. Five adjectives that represent you the best as a leader, not your company, not your organization, not who you work for, you personally as a leader. Everybody understand? Feel free to ask questions at any time, okay? If you don't know where you are or what you're supposed to be doing. And if you can't read the screen, you should have that sheet in front of you there. It's just not in color. Now, if you've already done those five, then go to the next step and take the one word, the one word that represents you the best, and move it over to that one box. And when you get that, if you don't mind, just yell it out for a second, if you, if you have it. Inspired, Inspired unique, imaginative, imaginative inclusive, opti optimistic, decisive, confident. confident. Which one? Adventurous. Adventurous, like, I mean, these are all awesome, great. Okay, so who said optimistic? Okay, what's your name? Jeff, okay, everybody, I want you to turn the handout that you've been writing onto page five. The next page. This is like an ultimate Mad Libs. Who remembers Mad Libs? Come on. All right, I love Mad Libs, so I put it in. So I want you to write your name at the top where it says, you know, your name. It's very clear. <laughs> then I want you to write your adjective, the one that you came up with, that, that one word, and put adjective there. And then everyone, that other separate handout that I gave you, it has verbs and nouns on it. It was Jeff, right? Yeah. And you said optimistic. Yeah. I want you to match your adjective with a verb and a noun so that you can create a success slogan. So you can say, my name's Jeff, and I build optimistic teams. I champion optimistic problem solving. I deliver optimistic solutions. Look, I don't care what it is, but come up with something, because here's the reality, everybody. Now, wait a minute, everybody, before you start. If you, at this point you hate your adjective, change it. I mean, I mean, change it, come on, this, and I'm gonna put a burden on you for a second. I'm gonna challenge you to do something for a second. Look, this can't be too cheesy, this can't be too arrogant, this can't be too weird, you know what I mean, what I'm saying? But literally, what do you do? What value do you bring? What do you champion? What do you build? What do you deliver? What do you create? What do you provide? What do you teach? When somebody comes up to you at a party, you know, when somebody comes up to you at your office and asks you what you do, what do you do? What value do you bring? So I just want you to take a second and see if you can come up with a success slogan that fits who you are and what value you bring to the table as a leader. And we're all gonna be different, that's the unique part of this. But how do you hook them so they stay tuned for more? Has anyone done it yet? Sometimes people do it really fast. Did you do it? Have you done it yet, anybody? Go ahead, what, what'd you come up with? Say, my name's, read it. My name is Patrick Dorman, and I motivate thoughtful solutions. Ooh, I like it, a lot. I motivate thoughtful solutions. Okay, which one were you up here? The creator. The creator. 
everyone, I want your attention for a second. What did I just give all of you? This is a cheat sheet. These are branding words. People have paid millions of dollars testing these words because people feel warm and fuzzy when they hear these words. So the next couple sentences out of your mouth are, my bold, cutting edge, thoughtful, unique. Now it's like hook, 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 tell me more. Look everybody, that's all we want. Don't let anybody swipe by your kids. Don't let them swipe by you. Don't let them swipe by your salespeople. You've got eight seconds in a very busy world. And you gotta hook them so they stay tuned for more. Anyone else wanna share what they came up with? Come on, give me another one. Yes, my name is? My name is Thomas Holmeyer, and I inspire diplomatic problem solving. Ooh, see, I, I would be interested. Now, which one were you? Uh, director. Director? So the next couple words out of your mouth. My ambitious, dynamic, enthusiastic, purposeful. Everyone, this becomes your LinkedIn. This becomes your Facebook page. This becomes your elevator pitch, whatever the heck you want to call it. You know, I'm not going to let anybody swipe by my kids, my company. I'm actually creating an online version right now where you actually take the test, you actually discover which one you really are. And then you actually like spin through and like build the, the success story and then you, or the success slogan, and then you actually continue on, you build the success story. You can't let people swipe by you. So I'll give you an event, I, I, I'll give you an example. I speak a lot to CEOs. So I'm sitting here at the CEO conference, I'm like, what do you do? Architect, swipe, tech, swipe, construction, swipe. I get to this one guy, he says, my company takes lives that people thought were over and we make them new again and we give them hope for tomorrow. I'm like, tell me more right now. I'm talking to this one guy, you know what he said? My company delivers smiles by the millions every day and it's fun. I'm like, tell me everything. You know what he was? A florist. But not just any florist. Every Costco, Publix, Ralph's, Wegmans, Vons, Supers, all across the country, those are all his flowers. He grows over 50 million stems just of ornamental sunflowers a year out of Mexico, has them within those stores within 26 hours. But he delivers smiles by the millions every day and it's fun. If he would have said florist, what would I have done? Swipe. You know what my hope is for you for this? Take this home. Turn off the TV. Sit down with your spouse. Sit down with your kids. You know, let them discover who they are and how to market themselves. I do this for inner city kids. When they get it back, if you could see their faces, they're like, this is me? I'm like, yes, you have value. Quit trying to let anyone tell you that you don't, but stay in your lane. I had this one kid come up to me. He's like, man, I'm not a leader, I'm a rapper. I'm like, rap for me right now. Oh my gosh, do you know like when you see raw talent that's just off the charts, I mean, it gives me chills. Like I remember like, I was like, is this even real? Like, am I watching this? And I said, I know which one you were before you tell me. He's like, which one? I go, you're the creator, weren't you? And he goes, I was the creator. I say, you know why I know that? Because you're the bold one, the curious one, the cutting edge one, the unique one. And I love his response back to you. You know what he said? Maybe I am a leader. Come on. You've got to believe in yourself first. You've got to understand that you have eight seconds. So don't, after today, never tell somebody what you do. Tell them how you change the world. Any questions on this? Do you guys like this, by the way? I'm just curious. Have fun with it. Take it home. Take it back to the office. Then comes emotional intelligence. How many read extensively on emotional intelligence? Anyone in the room? I mean, this is the big buzzword in the corporate world today. I do tons of stuff for Merrill Lynch, Farmers Insurance, big companies, small companies. But essentially, what does it mean? It means how do you connect with others? 
You could be the smartest one in the room. If you talk above people, beneath people, if you belittle people and you don't even know you're believing because I promise you they do, very difficult to lead the way you need to lead. 75% of careers are derailed because of lack of emotional competencies. Notice I didn't say position in company. Are you the general manager? You know, the president? The head of your division? No, can you relate to people? And what am I talking about when I say lack of emotional competencies or intelligence? You know, your inability to handle interpersonal problems. Are you a mess? Does everybody know you're a mess? Come on, you know if you're out there. Lack of leadership during times of crisis or conflict. Inability to adapt to change. Failure to earn trust from others. You realize I could just like keep spinning through this list. Here's the bottom line. This speech, speech is not designed to make you feel good. Like, oh, you need to be nice to people and everything's going to be fine. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying actions have consequences. Good, good, bad, bad. Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger, Zappos, Google. I mean, come on. The people who work for these companies would live there if they could. And they're, and they're making fried chicken sandwiches with pickles on top at Chick-fil-A. And they feel like they're changing the world. Everyone, talk to a Chick-fil-A manager. I have a lot of them. In-N-Out Burger? Have you, you guys know In-N-Out Burger? It, it's, you know, it's coming across the country. It started in California. The workers who work there, these are kids managing other kids. Those kids make like $150,000 managing these restaurant chains, these stores. They feel like they're changing the world, making an impact in society. They're making burgers and shakes. So don't tell me it has to be like sports-related, entertainment-related, finance-related. No, these are visionary leaders that have created a culture that's bigger than themselves, bigger than the product, bigger than the industry, and I would argue we all have the opportunity to do that within our own organizations. It's proven all the time. I see it. So my goal for you as we go through this is for you to gauge effects of what you do and say when we're talking about emotional intelligence, regulate and control your own impulse so that ultimately you can make dynamic changes and inspire people the way you need to as a leader. There are four types of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, social awareness, relationship management, and self-management. And we're gonna start with self-awareness, the foundation of emotional intelligence, sorry. And what is this? This is, okay, if I'm gonna use the keep it simple, stupid, this is literally where you take the mirror and put it right here and say, how does this all come across? The clothes I wear, the car I drive, the parking space I use, the office space that I have. And here's the good news, everybody. There's no absolute right or wrong to this. It's literally just how does it come across? And are you willing to see yourself as others see you? So I'm going to ask you a question. By the way, I asked the same question the same way to a, a kid running a high school organization, a, 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 you know, a, a boy or girl running a college club, a CEO of a company, a, a general manager, the head of the beverage, what, anyone, I say it the same way, but here goes. Do you have CEO disease? It's leadership disease. And what's that? It's where you walk out of a room and you say, they love me. They love me and they think I'm hilarious. And what are they really saying? I'm sick of hearing about their kids. I'm sick of hearing about their trip to a great place that I'm probably never gonna be at some resort. I'm sick of hearing how great things are, how horrible your golf game was because while you were out there golfing, we we're here working still. And so, and I'll trade you anytime if you wanna tra trade. But what do they say to us? Show us more pictures of your kids. Gather around, everyone. Gather around. Look at the perfect sickly family we have before us. Because we affect their future. Now, is there anything wrong with being successful? Look, you've worked really hard to be here today. You're doing great. You know what I'm saying? But it just may not come across the way we think it's coming across. For example, I'm sitting at an event, and this, I'm not kidding. The CEO of a company goes, um, 
raised hand, he goes, so I shouldn't have called the whole office down to see my new Maserati in the parking lot the other day? Uh, probably not. And it gets worse, everybody, or better, whichever one you want to look at. He's like, here, give me your phone, sit in it. I'll take some pictures of you. It gets worse. The group knew each other. So like, didn't you just fire a bunch of people like three months ago for tough times? Yeah, tough times. So essentially they were sitting in the equivalent of the dead carcasses of their friends and former employees in the shape of a Maserati for this guy. Now, how do you know if you have CEO disease or a leadership disease or whatever the heck you want to call it? I will give you my solution. And do I have all the answers? Heck no, I don't have all the answers. Beware anybody who tells you they do. I will just tell you what I do to get feedback. I get feedback on a regular basis, one-on-one, -on -one, never in groups of two or more because they will gang up on you. So I will call John in my office, sit down for a second, shut the door. Now it's one-on-one. -on -one. I'm like, hey, John, look, I want you to be the best that you can be. And hopefully I give you the tools to do that. However, I also want to be the best that I can be. And so I'm going to ask you a question. You're not going to lose your job because of the answer. Matter of fact, I will appreciate an honest answer. And by the way, John, I value your opinion. Think of even the strength of that conversation. And then I ask this simple question. What should I do more of? Less, add, and then I shut up and I listen. And in a twisted way, some people will take great pride in telling you this. Some won't. Some will be like, Dan, you're just handsome and strong. The strongest man I've ever met in my entire life. Wow, you're so smart and you have great vision. Or they may actually tell me the truth, everybody. Quit talking about your daughter's volleyball. We're sick of it. Ouch, that hurts. It's like getting cut in the soft, you know, getting like stabbed in the soft part of the stomach, right? You know, you're like, ow, oh, that hurts. And you, can't, you have to be in the right mindset for this. You know, you can't be like, well, I thought you wanted to see the pictures. You asked to see the pictures. Oh, we do, Dan. It's preemptive. Might as well get the pain out of the way early. We know we're going to see him anyway, right? So, you know, now you're like moving the knife around and cutting me over and over. So, but I love the feedback because you know why I love the feedback? Because to me, the feedback, the feedback, it's like a coat in a store, I get to try on a new Dan Quiggle, take it in a little bit, let it out a little bit, maybe decide this isn't the right coat for me and put on a different one. But what am I giving myself a chance to do? Change everyone to be better. Do you know that I asked these questions to my kids from the time they were five? I'm still asking my 24-year-old these questions and you know he still gives me answers. He's like, hey, you know that joke you tell about me? Stop it. It's embarrassing. Now, are they ever going to hear that joke again? No, because I'm not in the... I don't like when I hear parents go, I love embarrassing my kids. I don't want to embarrass my kids. I want to empower my kids. They get enough embarrassment in life. Life's tough enough. This is the easy place. I always say, look outside this house. That's where we compete. We never compete in this house. You can bring any problem here and we can solve it. But this is, the, this is the chance to be better. Come on, Tiger Woods, in the middle of his best run, his number one golfer did what? Forget the other stuff, okay? In the middle of his best run, changed his what? Huge risk. Big, big, you know, big sport, big world. You're number one, apparently you have the right swing. No, I'm willing to risk it all to be better, fresh, longer. Oprah Winfrey, in the middle of her best run, his number one daytime television show, changed her format. She had the winning format, that's why she was number one. Nope, willing to risk it all to be better. Come on, Randy Rhodes. Anyone in this room could admit that they know who Randy Rhodes is? Don't let me down, Florida. Come on, who is it? Guitarist for who? Ozzy Osbourne. Who else knew that? What's your name? What is it? Teresa, Teresa and your? Aaron. Aaron and? Did you know in the back? Billy? Anybody else? I got four, five? All right, all five of you, rock on. That's what I'm talking about. I got five cool people in the room. All the rest of you disgust me. No, just kidding. <laughs> so you're like, why the heck is Dan Quiggle talking about Ozzy Osbourne's rock guitarist, Randy? Come on, arguably one of the best guitarists of all time, right? 
Come on, in all of our fantasies, if we are the rock guitars, lead guitars for Ozzy Osbourne in the 1980s, selling out arenas all over the world, what are we gonna do when we come into town? Party and have a good time. Not Randy Rhodes ever. Do you know what he would do in every single city, everybody? He would call three guitar teachers out of the phone book, schedule a half hour lesson with each one of them at the arena, so a total of an hour and a half of lessons before the actual concert. He would pull them backstage one by one, sit them down and beg them, please teach me something I don't know. What do you do best and will you please teach it to me right here, right now? Come on, how awesome is that? Here's somebody who's at the top of their game. What does he want to do, everybody? Get better. I have a podcast called Garage to Goliath. I have Steve Nash coming on next week. Steve Nash, come on, everybody know Steve Nash, right? One of the best NBA players. Have you seen Steve Nash in person? He's 6'1", 6'2". I mean, he doesn't look like an NBA player. You know what his quote was? If everyone in the NBA tried as, and practiced as hard as I did, I wouldn't be in the NBA. If you see me doing something on the court and you say, that came out of nowhere, it didn't. I've done it a thousand plus times in practice for my left hand, my right hand, my right leg, my left leg. See, my hope is, everyone, as we go through today, and this is all part of self-awareness, you find a new way to change your swing a new way to change your format, or like Randy Rhodes, something new that you can learn along the way, because that's what self-awareness is all about. So as your opportunity grade yourself again, do you have CEO disease? Are you, you self-aware? Are you willing to get feedback and see that as a gift for you to get better? Then comes relationship management. This is the ability to communicate clearly, convincingly with others to diffuse conflicts. Oh, dang, this clicker. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna get back. And it's based on crisis management and inspirational leadership. So here's my goal. I wanna change the way every single one of you views crisis for the rest of your entire lives forever in four minutes or less. Sound good? The ability to handle difficult people, situation with tact and decency. So here's what it looks like. What's so interesting about this? Look at it carefully, everybody. Mandarin Chinese. Do you see it? If you can see on this screen over here, I'm, I'm pointing over here for a second. The first symbol of danger and the first symbol of opportunity together equal to crisis. So in Mandarin, they understand there's an element of danger and an element of opportunity in every crisis. I love this. Everyone, you're not normal. Normal people don't get invited to things like this, okay? They're not part of these organizations. They don't invest in themselves. You know what normal people do on a regular basis? They check in, check out, check in, check out, check in, check out until we die or retire, and we don't know which one comes first, do we? It's good you're not normal. Because exceptional leaders, you know, normal leaders in crisis, they curse, yell, scream, kick, run away, hide. Exceptional leaders understand this first and foremost. And so when they're in a crisis, they take a nice, calm, cool step back and say, wow, I'm in a very difficult situation. Where, where's the danger and how do I minimize it? Where's the opportunity how to drive myself, my family toward it? I'll give you an example. It's not a pretty one. Neighbor of ours at our home found out he was getting a divorce, didn't know about it. Four little kids at stake, tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars at stake. I see the guy at the gym every morning, it looks like a truck just hit him. I'm like, hey man, how you doing? He goes, not good, how are you? 
I said, better than you right now, and that can change at any moment because you're gonna be down, I'm gonna be up, then I'm gonna be down, you're gonna go up. That's the way life is. And he goes, I know, Dan, but this one hurts. And I go, all right, well, let's talk about it. So I said, hey, hey, we're good friends. Can I drop by your office this afternoon? I have this thing I'd wanna share with you, danger, opportunity, Christ. He goes, tell me about it right now. Please don't wait another second. And it gives me a chills. Like, I remember the look in his face. It was not a healthy look. So I explained the whole thing to him. I'm like, all right, well, where's the danger? He goes, I don't know, my sanity, my kids, my finances. There's a lot on the line here. So we talked about that for probably an hour. I'm not kidding. But then after that, I said, where's the opportunity? He goes, there is none. I'm like, where's the opportunity? He goes, there is none. I'm like, where's the opportunity? There is none. He goes, you know, and I said, look, I'm gonna keep asking. He goes, I don't see it. And I said, it's staring you right in the face, the biggest opportunity of them all. And you know what I said? Your kids are watching to see how you handle crisis. And they will emulate you in their own lives. You understand that? So is it vindictive, angry, revengeful, shoot from the hip, irrational? Or is it well thought out, calculated, optimistic? Because they're going to follow your lead. So I'm just curious, right here, right now, in the middle of an absolutely horrible crisis, what kind of leader are you? And everyone, I love his answer with all my heart, because I guarantee with like 110% certainty, his answer would have been my answer. Do you know what he said? Oh my gosh, I've been a mess because I'm sure I would be a mess. Anyone who tells you they're not doesn't even know what they're talking about because who knows how you're gonna react. I said, that changes today. He goes, it will change today. It's been almost five years since that conversation. When I see him at the gym, you know, when I'm back and, as I go back and forth between the cities, when I see him at the gym, you know, it's, I love what, he's like, Quiggle, welcome back. He's like, crisis, identify danger, minimize, identify, that's what he says to me every, he's like, you know, it's all we have. You know what my hope is after today? Next time crisis comes your way, here's what I hope is as a leader, okay, within your family, within your community, within your company, I want you to picture yourself at a crossroads, literally two roads in front of you. It's like the Robert Frost poem, two roads diverge in the yellow wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You, I would argue, you have two choices when crisis comes your way. You either let these things define and defeat you, define and defeat you, or, ready? Empower and strengthen you. I call it failing forward. I talk to my kids about it all the time. I'm like, look, I, I may ask them this question all the time. How did you fail this week? Because if you're not failing, maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Have fun with it and don't be afraid of failure. Embrace it because that's an opportunity for you to get better, stronger. We're going to do it all the time. It's how, you, it's, it's how you react to it is what will be the differentiator between just kind of this mediocre life and this fun, exciting life. After today, find the opportunity of every crisis. After today, allow these things to empower and strengthen you. So how would you grade yourself? How do you handle crisis? And can you do better? Then comes self-management, adaptability. Positive outlook, achievement orientation. I want to talk about adaptability. So how many of you heard of Coke Industries? K-O-C, it's not Coca-Cola, Coke Industries. Okay, so if you have raised your hand, I have to make this very clear, this is not a political statement I'm making. Is that fair? Is that good? Because I'm gonna bring everything back to business. But you know, each one of those brothers is worth $51 billion each. Combined, they'd be the second wealthiest person on this planet. They split everything 50-50. There's six on the world's richest list. So I'm at a fundraiser one day. I'm in, up in this room. There's 14 people. Elevator doors open up. Out walks Mitt Romney and David Koch. Well, 12 out of the 14 run to Mitt Romney. I'm like, forget Mitt Romney. That guy's worth $51 billion from a pure business perspective. I want to go learn something from that guy. And I don't think the other people even knew who he was. So I grab my wife's hand. We walk over and say, hey, David, how you doing? Dan Quiggle, this is my wife, Luann, huge fan of the company. We start small talking. And finally, I said, hey, by the way, I really enjoyed your brother's book, The Science of Success, maybe the best business book I've ever read in my entire life. He goes, really? 
what was your favorite part? Totally trying to bust me, everybody. See if I read the book. My wife later told me she's very concerned for me at that moment. She's like, I thought you were going down in flames for sure. So she's like, I never saw you read that book. So luckily I had actually read the book and I actually had a favorite part. So trust me, it was one of those rare moments in life where you're like, did that actually just happen? Because I actually have an answer. Like, this is exciting. So I said, David, it's so interesting that you asked it because it was actually just two words in the entire book. I said, they were at the end of a chapter, at the end of a paragraph. I said, I circled them, I underlined them. But it was, you know, it was two words that changed my life. So it said, in that sentence, it said, Coke industry success is based on the creative destruction of their operations on a regular basis to stay competitive. The creative destruction of their operations on a regular basis to stay competitive. In other words, they rip it apart and put it back there, not for the sake of change. No, no, no. If it's working, put it right back. But let's talk about it. You know, capital improvements. You know, additions to your members, you know, these, these small things that he was talking about before, the large improvements. Like, let's talk about these things, how they've worked out in the past, what's going to happen in the future, so that we can be the best that we can be. Now, did they invent this term? No, this is an economics term, everybody. It's like supply side. And why do I love this, these two words together? Because come on, when you think of this word, what do you think of? Tell me. Good things, right? Say it. Art. New, fresh. But when you think of this word, what do you think of? Bad, boom, death. But put them together, very interesting. See, everyone, I'm going to make a statement. And if you're willing to listen, this may be the most important statement I make this morning. Ready? Here goes. You either destroy it or you will be destroyed. You understand that, right? They're coming after you. They want your land, they want your business, they want your people. And they're not gonna be nice about it typically. Now granted, look, there's gonna be, I mean, there's organizations like this where you're gonna have friendly people, you're gonna be able to you know, uh, collaborate and work with people. But in general, I'm just saying, they're under the same pressure to grow their membership and do all these other things. They, you know, they may not like you, they may not know you, and it may not even matter because they're under that same pressure but you have to destroy it because wouldn't you want to do it on your own terms until it's too late? Just ask Kodak. They thought digital photography was going to be a fad, everybody. It wasn't. And they're gone. Kodak does not exist. Blockbuster, go to Blockbuster a year out and say, in a year you won't exist. They would have laughed in your face. Have you seen our storefronts? How, many, you know, how much business we're doing? A year later, gone. Now, the opposite, Netflix. They were delivering to you in the mail movies. Do they do that anymore? No, now they stream and make their own movies. Talk about creative destruction, right? Staying ahead of the curve, creating their own you know, journey, their own story. I just challenge you to take this. And do you think for a second, everyone, I'm just talking about business? We're creatures of habit in our own lives. We go to the same restaurant, eat the same food at the same restaurant on the same nights probably. Go to the same gym, work at the same equipment, same gym, same time. That's why they see the same people next to us. Same equipment, same gym, same time, same day. Think about it. You're like, hey man, how you doing? Good to see you again. Been on this elliptical for five years, looked the exact same. How about you? Everything going well? <laughs> Come on, you know it's true. Nobody changes. They're all the same. We're all the same. I put myself in that category too. I'm not, you know, no, no throwing stones here. I just challenge you to do creative destruction in your personal life and your business life. Have these discussions. You may do to expand, do things differently. You know, learn from each other during these few days. Collaborate. What's working, what's not? But how would you grade yourself? Do you do creative destruction?
Then comes leadership. Now, we don't need to look any further from a leadership perspective to the best of the best. From the best university in the entire world, everyone, the winningest coach in NCAA basketball history, who am I talking about? Syracuse. <laughs> Listen, that's a great school if you can't get into UCLA, and I really commend you for that. <laughs> Everybody needs a backup, so I understand. <laughs> no, but seriously, John, would, look, look at this. 20 feet tall, all in gold, when you walk into the Wooden Center at UCLA, industriousness, friendship, loyalty, cooperation, enthusiasm, self-control, alertness, initiative, intentness, condition, skill, team spirit, poise, confidence, competitive greatness. Does this say winning on there at all, everybody? No, it doesn't need to. See, John wouldn't believe if you got this right, you were a winner. He would take one of these to practice, say, friendship, who are your friends? How do they add value to you? How do you add value to them? Let's talk about it. Come on, everyone. When someone does this to you on a regular basis, what do you think those athletes thought about John Wooden that he what about them? That he what? Oh yeah, absolutely cared, right? Even loved. I'm gonna go ahead and use the term. My favorite Wooden story. You know what he'd do at the beginning of every season? Welcome to UCLA basketball, everybody. Look at the national championship banners on the wall more than any other university. He'd you know, start naming the names of the greats who sat in those exact chairs before them. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, start naming the names. And they'd say, all right, everybody, take off your shoes and take off your socks. We're gonna put them on again and we're gonna put on right this time and they will never come untied, is that clear? He would take an hour and go around the room and teach them how to roll up their socks and, and tie their shoes. He's like, we're not gonna stop a practice for something so trivial that we could have controlled. 30, 40 years later, speeches still being given, articles written from those athletes, how symbolic that moment was in their life. Because what was he teaching them, everybody? Details matter. A championship season is not one in the final basket. It started years in advance with who's coaching and recruiting. Uh-huh, right here, buddy. And by the way, a guard, very different from a center. You better get the right people in the right positions, and you better have a deep bench because people just leave. They're not good anymore. They get injured. They transfer. And then, you know, they're practicing strategy, plays, conditioning. They haven't even started the season. They're literally just preparing to win. And then they have to start the season, have a series of successes to maybe make it to March Madness, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, to have a chance to shoot the final basket. It started years in advance with who's coaching and recruiting. If you turn the page there, you see a pyramid. I gave this to you for a reason, okay, everybody? I just want you to take, and, and we're gonna do this quickly, okay? I want you to build your own pyramid. If you look at the next page, you can open it up wide and you should be able to see a list of words that you can, that you can steal from. And I mean that, <laughs> I don't want you to think too hard today, right? But I want you just to take maybe a couple minutes and right now, I want you to put a word in each box just like Wooden did. And by the way, there's no right or wrong here. There's no right or wrong. You could put the most important at the bottom, at the top, it's your pyramid. You don't even have to use the words I gave you. Come up with your own words if you want to. But just in the next couple minutes, I want you to build your pyramid. What is important to you? What is your purpose? What values do you hold dear? Has anyone done it yet? What'd you come up with? And re just read it from the, from the bottom to the top. No, you don't have to explain, just read the words. Poise at the top, interesting, love that. And again, there's no right or wrong here, right? That's just you. Give me another one. Yes, read aloud so everybody can hear it. Nice. Love gratitude at the top, one of my favorite words. Give me one more at least. 
Come on. Yes. Ninth. Come on. That's awesome. Grace, love. I mean, I love love on there. I, I just do. It's one of my favorites. All right, we're going to play a game for a minute, okay? Everybody hover your pen or pencil over top of the pyramid, right? And then in the next five seconds, I want you to put a line through two, take two away that are not as, as important as the other ones. And you have to do it. Five, four, just do it from the gut. Three, two, one. All right, in the, do it again, ready? In the next five seconds, I want you to take two more words away that are not as important as the other ones. Five, do it, four, do it, three, two, one. Now, in the next five seconds, I want you to take two more words away or as many as it takes to get to one word and I want you to circle the one word that is the most important to you on that list. And when you do it, just say it out. Integrity, faith, love, honesty, trustworthy, gratitude, reliability, generosity. Everyone, see the neat thing about this, there's no right or wrong, is there? It's literally what's important to you. Do you know that, here's my hope, you know how I use this? Do you know that I use this with my company in interviews? Do you know we have a system the way we use it? We actually explain to them why this is important. We actually have them write it down. We take note of which words they wrote down first, which word was last, which word they put at the top. And then we make them take words away, which by the way is interesting because they're like, oh shoot, this one? You know, they're like, which, because they, they always end up with like hardworking or integrity, you know, because that's what they think they want. But then we're like, hey, well, when would somebody describe you as that? Show us an example. We talk about it. We have specific questions that we talk about. It. So I use it in interviews. You know where else I use this? You want to learn about the culture of your organization, your company, your club? I do it with my teams. Take this back. Do it with the team. Like sit down, have them do it, but do it as an organization. They can do it personally, but they also do it as an organization. And by the way, have them put it down. Like what do we represent? Like let's talk about our values. What is our purpose? And then have them put it together. And if you're willing to listen during this process, you'll learn a lot about the culture of your company. I'll give you an example, because then I make them take it away and I don't just give them five seconds, I'll give them like five minutes for each section because I wanna hear the debate on which ones to take off. And they're like, take off loyalty, no, 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 leave that, we need more of that around here. Those are like shot across the bow moments where you can learn about your culture, okay? But come on, where else do I do this, everybody? Oh, absolutely, we just did one like three nights ago, right? With the family. Again, take it home, sit everybody down, let them do their own individual pyramids, come up with a family pyramid. You know, we were doing the family one the other day. I thought it was awesome. My 15-year-old put service on there, and I called him out. I'm like, oh, really? I don't see a lot of that's going on right now. I'm traveling. You're, you know, you're traveling. We're all, we're all traveling, doing stuff for sports, stuff at work. Because like, if we're going to put it down there, it actually has to mean something. So then we decided, okay, once a month, we're going to go as a family. We've already done one, but we're going to you know, do it again. Why not? What do these words mean? You know what my favorite part of this, everyone, is? John Wooden, that guy, he's been dead for years and we're still talking about him. They're still talking about his pyramid. See, here's my ideal goal for everyone in this room. How do you take your life and take it from success to significance? Where you go from being just who you are to being so much bigger than that because you know everyone in this room. You understand that you affect so many lives. You think for a second it's just the members or your family? It's those employees, it's all those people that you lead, that you inspire, that look to you for these examples, that look to you for leadership. And when you invest in them, when you believe in them, the sky's the limit. Because guess what we know about human nature, everybody? They're probably not getting this at home. 
So you get to be the caring one. You get to be the appreciative one. You get to be the education piece that they want and need to push them to be the best that they can be in their life. From success to significance. Then we talk about direction. See everyone, I'm convinced that once you're here, because look, you're the leaders, you're in this room for a reason. Once you're here, you know what your role is? To be a visionary leader. Because what do we know about human nature, everybody? Where's everybody back at the office right now? They're in the weeds, I promise you. They're dealing with their job, they're dealing with their family, they're worried about their rent, they're worried about their mortgage, they're worried about getting the kids to, to, to sports on time and dance, and they're, they're, they're an Uber driver at home because they're taking kids everywhere. And then, by the way, they still have to be a great wife or husband and, and, and then provider and this and that and all these other things. I mean, we're being pulled in a million directions. Somebody has to be the visionary leader. Somebody, I mean, if I went to your companies and I asked this question, where's this company gonna be in five days? How about five months? What about five years? And what's your role in it? And if you get there, do you get anything special for it? First, would they be able to answer? Second, would they answer enthusiastically? Because I will argue, everybody, that real success, real opportunity is with an enthusiastic answer to that question because then they know where they are. They know where they can be. I think real leaders, real leaders, set a very lofty goal. And by the way, this has been proven on my podcast because I've interviewed people all the time like about their, you know, how do they create vision? This is the differentiator, ready? Here's the, secret, here's the secret sauce, the secret formula. They set very lofty goals, but here's what they do different. They then show everyone their role in it, not mine, not the company, no, their role. What they, and then what do they get out of it? Not how does the company prosper, not, no, what do they get out of it personally? Because here's my argument, every, if they can't answer that question they asked, what are they? Hamster on a wheel. What are you doing today? Running for what? Not sure. What are you doing five months from now? Running for what? Not sure. Five years from now? Running? Not sure. Come on, anyone in this room, would you, would you want to live like that? So why would you let anyone else that you care about live like that? And hopefully you care about your family. Hopefully you care about your employees. Because they give us a lot, don't they? Be that visionary leader. I, um, there's a great story about a world-class archer, multiple Olympic champion. He's driving through the countryside one day. He comes up over a hill. He sees a barn littered with hundreds of arrows dead set in the center of every single target, if you can picture that, okay? He stops his car. His heart starts beating fast. He's like, oh my gosh, have I finally met somebody who can compete with me? Somebody that loves it like I do, that has the same passion. He pulls his car off the road. He goes up to the farmhouse next to the barn. He knocks on the door. He's like, is this your barn? The guy said, yes, it is. He said, so you shoot? The guy goes, I shoot every day. It's a passion of mine. The guy's like, I also shoot every day. It's my life's passion. He goes, matter of fact, I bring my stuff with me wherever I go. I have it in the car. I know there's a lot to ask, but will you give me the honor of shooting with you today on your farm? The guy who owns a barn's like, absolutely, let's do it. So they take a half hour to set up. The guy who owns the barn goes first. He pulls back his bow. Watch the screen, don't watch me. He pulls back his bow. He randomly shoots into the side of the barn. Oh, is it gonna do it? Goes and grabs some paint and starts painting around the arrow. <laughs> He's not good, is he? You know where I'm going with this, right? Are you randomly shooting with your company? 
Are you randomly shooting with your family? Are you ending up in places and declaring, I guess that's where we're supposed to be? See, I'm convinced everybody, real leaders know exactly where they want to be. They set very lofty goals. They show everyone around them their role in it, what they get out of it. And when they get there, or when it needs to change, they change it. What is the one thing that we can count on in life, everybody, what? Change. That's why I am baffled when I see friends of mine, they're like, I didn't see it coming. It's coming. We don't know how it's coming, but it's coming. And I would argue you can either be a victim of it or a student of it. Again, talk to my kids about this all the time. I'm like, come on, love change. It's the exciting part of life. And it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be really bad. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna feel awesome. But that's what life is all about. I just challenge you to be that visionary leader. So how would you grade yourself? Would they be able to answer that question? Do they know their role in it, what they get out of it? Or are they the hamster on the wheel? So I'm asked all the time, okay, you got to work for President Reagan. Like, what, what did you see in the president? Like, there was a leadership, look, politics aside, and let me make this clear, this is not a political speech. I mean that. Like, I don't care what you believe in. I hope you believe in whatever that is strongly. But both sides of the aisle would agree this guy was an emotionally intelligent leader. So when I talk about him right now, it's just going to be that way. Is that okay with everybody? Because that, that's important to me these, these days especially. But what traits did I see? And what traits do you see? Like when you talk about great coaches or teachers or, you know, presidents. I saw four things in the president, and I'm going to talk about two of them. The first one, attitude of gratitude, loyalty, humility, and humor. I'll talk about the first and the last one, okay? Start with this one. My favorite Reagan story. I'm sitting in the office one day. The phone rings. It's the president. You never get used to that. And he goes, Dan, could you do me a favor? Could you go to the gift closet, grab some gifts, and meet me down at the car in the garage? Well, I'm not going to question the president. What are they for? Who are they for? No, I'm literally just going to go to the gift closet. And you guys, there was a gift closet, like this huge closet with hundreds of tie tacks, cufflinks, the presidential seal, his signature engraved in gold on the back, beautiful bronze eagles with the presidency. I mean, really neat stuff that you couldn't buy in just any store. And they're beautifully wrapped. So I grab a handful and I go down the garage. What I didn't realize was in that garage, there was a guy from Mexico. He ran the garage. He, he didn't, you know, didn't speak a lot of English, wore, wore top hat, tails, dress shoes. I mean, it was a nice building, so he dressed the part. Well, every day when Reagan's motorcade would come in the garage, and let's picture, I mean, it's probably 10 times the size of this room, you know, the, the, the garage length, so it's, it's far. He would run to the outskirts every morning in top hat those dress shoes, would stand and salute the motorcade. Once it passed him, he'd run back the entire way in top hat tails dress shoes, had bought his own American flag, and would stand and hold the American flag and hold the door for the president every morning. Well, classic leadership, President Reagan recognizes what? This guy's going above and beyond, isn't he? This is not his job description. So I meet the president at the car. He's like a little kid. He's like, over here, over here. I'm handing him the gifts. We, you know, I'm still wondering what the heck's happening. We start walking toward the door. You got a picture of the scene. There's three Secret Service agents, myself and the president, and President Reagan stops at this guy. And the guy just starts shaking. The flag is shaking. The door, he's so nervous. I'll never forget it. And President Reagan looks at him. He goes, you know, every day I come through this door, and every day you make me so proud to be an American. The way you stand there with that flag, the pride you take in your job. He said, I know it's not much, but I want to give you a few tokens of my appreciation for what you do every day, which is make my day. And he goes to hand him the gifts. We have to picture the scene because the guy's trying to hold the flag, hold the door, grab the gift, shake hands. He can't do it all. So one Secret Service agent jumps in to grab the flag. The other one jumps in to grab the door. And I'm standing there going like this. 
I love you, man. You are such, you are such a good person. Like, I love it. Now, what do you think everyone was my takeaway from that? This was not a publicity stunt. There was no one there. There never was. I was the only one he could have turned to and say, hey, will you take pictures of me handing these things? Will you tell America? No, he just did it. And he did it all the time. We'd be walking out of events at these hotels. Where did he go every single time? And Secret Service hated this everybody. They're like, he's moving, because he's you'd have the path where they're supposed to walk. And he'd walk straight in the kitchen. High five all the cooks, shake hands with all the servers, apologize for keeping them away from their families so late that night. They will tell their grandchildren about that. Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. You just shake the hand of a president. He would sit and call sick kids. I mean, you can't, you could not look away from this. Like, he would get these letters. Like, you have no idea the letters that, that these people get, you know, these presidents get, you know, my, my, I'm, I'm dying of cancer. I mean, these are like, you know, six-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids. I mean, you can only imagine, like, the pain and anguish you'd be going through as a family. And he'd get these letters, and you, you would know, like, if it didn't have a number, you better get a number, because he'd say, like, get the number. He'd go straight into his office. He didn't even know we're listening. He would always keep his door open. So we'd stand around the corner. It wasn't, wasn't glass. There was a wall. So we'd stand there and listen. He'd dial up the number. He's like, is Johnny there? This is Ronald Reagan. Notice, don't hang, they'd hang up on him every time. You guys, <laughs> Reagan's not calling your house, okay? It's Uncle Bob messing with the family. It's a prank call. But he, you know, he'd get them on the phone. He's like, he'd call back. He's like, Johnny, I got your letter. And I just want you to know Nancy and I are praying for you. So you know the most important piece of this puzzle. Don't you see you already won the lottery of life? We're living here in America. So if you were gonna get this anywhere on the entire planet Earth, you got it in the right spot because we've got great doctors here, a great system. So if this is a race, Johnny, you're already in the lead. You're leading the race over everyone. So I need you to answer this question for me, Johnny, because it's important to me. See, because here, from here on out, we're gonna be teammates. And I like to win. So Johnny, I need you to tell me right now, do you believe you can win this race? Because I need you to tell me you believe that you can win this race. Who does that? And he did it all the time. So imagine me at my age getting to see that apparently this is what real leadership looks like. It's not about demanding or demeaning or demoralizing. It's about inspiring and motivating and appreciating. By the way, everybody, how much does that cost us? How much? Nothing. Just the emotional intelligence to understand it matters to people. I'm at a conference, CEO conference. This guy raised his hand at this moment. He goes, uh, Dan, my thank you department. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop right there. Are you kidding me? Explain everything. He's like, yeah, we take our top, I have one person. We take our top 50 clients. We analyze everything about them, not just birthdays, anniversaries, everybody does that. No, what's their thing? Is it golf? You know, is it music? Is it, you know, what, what is it? Cigars, dance? Like, what's their thing? And then we thank them the way they want to be thanked because we should. What do you think I did at America's Choice Title Company? I went straight back. I'm like, Claire, you're now over here. You're perfect for this. You're a one-person thank you department, but not just our top 50 clients. No, no, no. Here's a list of 21 vendors that make our company better. Let's start thanking them, making feel, you know, feel appreciated because they need to be. We need them. And by the way, who else does Claire take care of in my business life? What are my biggest assets, everybody? My what? My people, the employees. Why would you not want to thank them? Christine, who allows me to be here on a, who even knows what day of the week this is, who allows me to be in California half the year watching my kids and play and do all this other stuff. Seven years ago, her beloved New York Giants were on their way to the Super Bowl. I'll never forget. I walk in, I'm like, how you doing? They just beat Green Bay. They were one game away from the Super Bowl. They had to go to San Francisco. You know, we're sitting in Florida and I walk in, I'm like, it's Monday morning. And I go, you're happy, aren't you? She goes, happy understatement. And that's, that New Yorker was smiling. That's rare, by the way. I mean, she's just business, 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 right? So I'm like, so it's so funny. So I said, um, and, and she goes, it's my birthday. 
my Giants won, we're one game away from the Super Bowl, it doesn't get any better than this. I go, oh, it's about to. She goes, what do you mean? I go, here's two round trip tickets to California, to San Francisco, here's two seats on the 50 yard line, here's four nights in a hotel and a ton of cash to spend while you're there. And she goes, you're just trying to keep me here, aren't you? And I go, yes, and she goes, it's working. <laughs> now, is she worth a thousand times that? Of course, it has nothing to do with the money, I trust you. It has everything to do with knowing she would never ever do that for herself because she just works everyone. So sometimes you have to force the issue. So here's what I want you to do right now. Do you see where it says attitude of gratitude on that next page? After I want you to write, see underneath attitude of gratitude, it has a list that says personal gratitude calls, professional gratitude calls. See that, everybody? Everybody see that? What page is it on? On page 10. I want you right now to write down two names personally and two names professionally that you're gonna call today. While you're in Sarasota, before you go to bed tonight, and thank them for being part of your life. I call these gratitude calls, I do them all the time. Do you know I called my debate coach every single month until the day he died? And then he didn't take the calls anymore, right? You know how the call would go every single time? He'd answer the phone and I'd go, Bob, Dan Quiggle, you know you're my hero, don't you? He'd say, oh, Dan, I love these calls. You don't need to call me. And I said, oh no, I do, Bob, because you are my hero. Right, and I'll never stop talking about you, right? I still talk about the guy to this day. So who'd you write down personally? Say it, just give me a title. Dad? Keep going. Wife? Best friend? Brother? Who'd you write down professionally? Give me a title. Yeah, director of operations, right? Important position, isn't it? Heck yeah. GM, do you know that I spoke in Chicago? We take a break, come back in, guy comes up to me, goes, Dan, just called my wife, told her I loved her. She said, are you cheating on me? Are you feeling well? Are you at that meeting today? I don't understand what's happening. Like, what's going on? He said, apparently, I don't tell my wife I love her enough if you know, she either has to be, think I'm dying or cheating on her to do it. I said, when was the last time? He goes, don't even remember the last time. That's real, everyone. You know what my dad told me early on in life? He said, Dan, don't let a day go by in your life where the people that matter to you don't know they matter to you, you know, because somebody else will let them know. You think I'm just talking about business? I'm talking about personal, I'm talking about everything. Plus, it's the right thing to do. President Reagan passed away on a Saturday. I got a call that morning. What are you doing this week? I was in Florida. Whatever you need me to do this week. Can you come to California? I can be on a flight in three hours. Look, I could talk for a week on this week how amazing it was to be up there, what an honor it was to be part of that whole process. You know what I choose to talk about? One hour where we took a break from working, four hours from the staff, and if you can see, I'll try to use, see this black, black velvet rope there in the corner, right, that one right there? They opened that rope and they let four of us stand right in that corner. And we stood there for an hour and we watched as people circled out of that coffin. People, by the way, who had waited 12 hours to do that. 12 hours. Do you know what it's like to wait 12 hours in line? I don't. I've never done it. I can't even wait a half hour at Disneyland. It drives me crazy. Marines in full dress blues coming and standing where that woman in red is right there, saluting, sobbing, like crying. 
Now you say, wait a minute, Dan, this isn't fair. I don't even know why you're talking about this because last time I checked, I'm sitting in Sarasota, Florida with no plans on being president of the United States and or wish that on my worst enemy at this point. Fair enough? Then I ask you to remember what Mother Teresa said. Mother Teresa's walking out an event one day and a man came through the crowd and he said, how can such a small woman make such a big impact? And I love her answer, everybody. You know what she said? If you can't change the world, just change one life. And she kept walking. Come on, everyone. You know you change more than one life. It starts with your family and friends. It goes on to your coworkers, your employees. And who do you think it goes from? From you, to, from them to whom? To their what? To their families. Do you know how I view my life every day, everyone, as a series of dominoes lined up straight away in front of me? And guess what I get to do every single day? Uh. And when I'm nasty, when I'm mean, when I'm arrogant, what goes down the line? When I'm optimistic, when I'm a problem solver, when I'm a visionary leader, what goes down the line? You decide, everyone. No one else decides for you. I sat 10 rows back behind Mrs. Reagan on the center aisle. There was a 21 howitzer cannon salute. So how appreciative are you? How thankful are you just to be alive today? To, to then be perceived and, and, and in a position of leadership where you get to influence others. To be successful in what you do. See, everyone, I'm so convinced that we, we live such a charmed life here that we, we manufacture problems. We literally make them up. Traffic. I had a friend, you know, caught in this huge traffic. I, for three days at the gym, I listened to a talk about it. Finally, I'm like, did you have air-conditioned leather seats? Because I think you, you had air-conditioned, you know, leather seats, didn't you? Well, did we launch a satellite into space that's circling the planet, beaming to your car, any genre of music, talk, radio, or comedy, so you can be entertained? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Did you have a magical dial that says 72, because God forbid you're sweating or, you know, hot or cool, too cool? You know, yeah, yeah, I did. And you had the magical device, right? I mean, the magical device, you could talk instantaneously with anyone on the planet Earth, trade stocks, watch a movie full length. Yeah, I did. Now, I'm sure he hated me at the end of that conversation. It wasn't, but we, I think, I just ask you to stop manufacturing problems. Everyone, do you know what I do when I get to the office each day? And I just want you to consider this, okay? I get out of the car. I don't even wait till I'm at the door because I know they're watching me from the windows. They see me. They know your car. I stand up straight, I tighten my belt, I adjust my shirt, and do you know what I say to myself? It's showtime. Because it is everybody. When you walk in, you're like, the kid drop-off was horrible, the weather's bad, this is horrible. They're like, oh, apparently that's the way today's gonna go again. When you walk in ready to win, that's the way today's gonna go. And where else do I do this, everybody? Say it. Home, now you're saying, wait a minute, Dan, this isn't fair, because last time I checked, I'm a human being, I need some downtime, some meet, alone time. Why do you think I travel and speak, everybody? Do you think I'm partying in Sarasota last night? Do you know what I do when I get to these hotel rooms? I shut the blackout blinds. I don't even turn on the TV. I literally turn off the phone. It's the only time my phone ever goes off, ever. I lay back on the bed, I turn off lights, I lay back in complete darkness and silence, and you know what I say to myself? Do you hear that? Nothing, nothing. It feels so good because it's just not normal. So I just, but I, so I get that, but I also get the fact, come on, you're in this room for a reason, own it. Be the leader that you know you need to be. 
Then comes humor. Now, at any point, am I telling you to buy a joke book and start telling jokes around the office? No, that'd be awkward for everyone, I'm sure. But there's something to be said for not taking yourself too seriously, for allowing you and others to have fun. And there's, by the way, a confident power in that, isn't there? To just be able to laugh at yourself, laugh at others. We will spend more time with these people, waking hours, do the math, than we do our own families. Why would you not want them to have fun, to be engaged? Reagan was the master of this. When tensions were high in a meeting, what would he do? He would actually tell a joke and usually is self-deprecating. And what would that do to the air in the room? Ah, I can relax. I'm sitting in the office one day. Mark Weinberg, the press secretary, comes over. He goes, Dan, you got to read this article. Well, the article talked about a trip that the president had just taken to Japan, a trip we helped out with. While he was up at the head table, he doodled on a napkin, which he loved to doodle cowboys like the one in the upper left. The article said that he doodled a cowboy on a napkin, signed it. A worker at the hotel found the napkin, are you ready? Auctioned off to the equivalent of 48,000 American dollars. So Mark goes, come on, let's go. So we walk into President Reagan's office. It's just myself, Mark, and the president. Mark takes the article, throws it down in front of the president. The president looks at the article, you know, reads it, smiles, gets a smirk smile on his face, takes out a little sheet of paper, doodles a quick cowboy, signs it, hands it to Mark, and he goes, go buy yourself a car. <laughs> To which I'm like, doing for me, I'm the starving college student, I've got nothing. I barely had enough gas to get here today, right? My car's breaking down I'm on the parking lot right now. So, you know, but he made it fun. I just throw this out there as to have as part of your arsenal, okay? To understand that it's okay to relax, it's okay to have fun, to enjoy yourself. You know, do you take yourself too seriously? How would you grade yourself? So those were the traits that I saw in the president. What action did I see? So President Reagan had what he called his kitchen cabinet. A group of trusted friends, advisors. How many of you heard the term kitchen cabinet? Every president has a cabinet, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Transportation, Secretary of Education, they meet like a board of directors. But President Reagan had what he affectionately called his kitchen cabinet, a group of trusted friends, and they had been together for a long time. And they weren't all political people. These were like car dealers and you know, business owners. And... But what did they offer him? Three things. Brutal honesty. These were not yes people, okay? He was not a sycophant. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how beautiful I am. Tell me how strong I am. No, tell me when I'm wrong. Anchor me down. I'm about to be pulled in a million different directions. I need all of you right here at the base. Shared vision, not the same. They were in different industries, but success-oriented, all pushing each other, supporting each other. Everyone, do you know what I love about organizations like this? What are they like? The ultimate what? Kitchen cabinets. You know, where you can get together, you can kind of be free to talk about like what's working, what's not. And you know what I love the most about them? Why am I even here today? Because somebody deems you as part of their kitchen cabinet and says, we are better when we're all better. When we invest in each other. When we learn from each other. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down five names. You see where it says kitchen cabinet? I want you to write down five names, but I have some rules, okay? Three rules. They can't be in this room because you already have these people. Get to know each other, exchange information, talk. They can't be in your company because how honest can you really be with those people because self-preservation kicks in, like should I be helping this person or looking for a new job? And they definitely cannot be part of your family because you should already be talking to your family. So who can it be? Could be the coach of your kid's soccer team. Could be a friend from high school or college, fraternity brother, sorority sister. Could be a neighbor, just somebody in your industry that you admire that's done really well. 
And by the way, no formal invitation necessary for this group. It's as simple as calling somebody up and say, hey, I've always admired the way you build great teams. You deal with your family. You deal with adversity. You build culture. I want to be better at that. Mind if we grab lunch or breakfast every once in a while and talk about it? Shoot, they may not even be in the U.S. They could be worldwide, but then it's a call. And what do we know about human nature, everybody? What do people like to talk about? Themselves. So this is a win-win for everybody. They get to talk and we get to listen and learn. So using these parameters, see if in the next couple minutes you can come up with five names. Who's in your kitchen cabinet? Who has your ear? Where are you getting your information from? Can I ask a question? Is anyone having difficulty with this a little bit? Yeah. And by the way, that's normal. That's why I, I want to reassure you that's okay because here's the reality, everybody. We get kind of in these silos in our life. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking at CEO conferences. This woman's like, look, when you took away the company and the family, it's over because we're a family-owned business. And so I had nobody. But the problem is then what does she have on? Major what? Blinders. Because her name's on the side of the building, everybody. So she's probably going to look good every day. You look great today. Oh, thank you. Because what's the alternative? You look sick and horrible. Oh, you should be fired maybe. I'm not sure. Right? <laughs> So that's safe, right? Safe. You're, she's going to be right most of the time because, again, that's safe. So somebody, just give me one name on your list. Just raise your hand if you give me one name on your list. Somebody. Come on. Anthony. Anthony. What does Anthony bring to the table for you? Yeah. Yeah. And so, by the way, probably a good people person, probably, you know, good at, at sales or business or whatever, it is, but just somebody who may bring value to you. Have you how long have you known that person? Yeah, so awesome. Great, great example, and I appreciate it. By the way, anybody have a health or wellness person on their list? You know what? I, did you? Who is, who is it? Yeah, so somebody who's maybe going to talk to you about life and body and health and everything else. You know what I love? I love yoga instructors and personal trainers. They're, they're like the ultimate bartenders, everybody. People just sit and tell them their problems all day long. So they may just give you a totally different perspective. And by the way, can I... If you don't mind me kind of jumping on the soapbox for a second, I think we need more of that in life. Different perspectives from everybody. So if you see your group as very kind of like plain, you may want to diversify a little bit. If you've got all men, add some women. If you've got all women, add some men. Different backgrounds, different cultures, because guess what, everyone? Look, and I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not going to get political, but if there's a news channel that I should watch because of the way I believe politically, what news channel do I never watch? That one. Because I already believe that, now I want so many different opinions. Because I want to constantly challenge myself to think outside of who I am. I'm not offended by all these things. I want to know everything so that I can make good decisions in the end. And if I believe strongly in something, I should question it constantly. And if, you know, because maybe I need to change or maybe it solidifies how I believe. But the thing about a kitchen cabinet is it will allow you to get different opinions so that you have the best information to make the best decision. Do you think, everybody, in my life, I don't make a major decision in personally or professionally without going to my kitchen cabinet? If seven out of eight tell me not to do something, guess what I'm not doing? But if seven out of eight tell me to, you know, take a risk, I'm probably going to take a risk and make it happen. So here's what I ask you to do. What's the date today? The fifth? Sixth? None of us know. Uh, that's awesome. That means it's a good day then, okay, everybody? But uh, so by the end of this month, so what, how many days are in this month? Mm. 31. So by the 31st, I'll give you all the way till the 31st, whatever date you write down. So if you want to be super lazy, put down the 31st. If you want to be more aggressive, maybe by the 20th, whatever date you will finish this list and you have called these people and set up a meeting. I guarantee you this, nothing but good things will come out of this. Who are you getting your information from? Who has your ear? 
right? Who's in your kitchen cabinet? Expand the kitchen cabinet. President Reagan gave the majority success in life to, the, to his kitchen cabinet. I do the same for mine. So everyone, then comes fun. So I save this for last from this perspective. And this is so sad, and I just want to make sure this isn't your life, okay? And, and look, I, I, you can do whatever the heck you want. That's a neat thing. We are the masters of our own destiny, our own journey. But do you know that I speak to CEOs? They need more of this. You need more of this. That's what life's all about. And it comes down to this, right? It comes down to this. Everyone, I guarantee you've heard speakers that have talked about work-life balance. You've read books about it. Do you want to know what I think of work-life balance? I don't think it's real. Unless there's trust funds I don't know about in this audience, because I know there wasn't one here. That means from, from God for me for what? I have to work. And I'm okay with that because my parents were the two hardest working people I've ever met. Both of them, double jobs, like working day and night, just try to feed us. But here's the thing. I switched years ago to something that saved me. See, because I don't think this is real. So I switched years ago to something that saved me, and I just asked you to consider it. That's it. But it was life-changing that moment. I switched from this, okay, instead of work-life balance, to this. Ready? Come on. Ugh. I want to be where I am, and I want to be there fully. How many have little kids? Anyone here have little kids? How old? Just yell it. Three and four. What time they go to bed? 8.30. What time you get home from work? Be honest. Seven. Five. Okay, so let's just be generous. Let's be like six to nine or 5.30 to 8.30, okay? That's three hours, everybody. Now, I'm not throwing you under the bus. We just said something. But come on, knowing you only have three hours with these people, there will be people in this room that will walk in when they get back from this trip. They will walk in and say, put the game on. Look, I need to jump on a conference call. I need to return emails. Hey, somebody has to pay for all this. And the family's like, uh, we've been waiting. We've been waiting all day. So I just asked you to give us a fraction of that time, okay, that you gave all those other people. And by the way, not just in the house, because I promise you there'll be people like that. I'm home, I'm home, I'm in the building. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually Engaged. And not just the checkoff questions. How's school, kids? Check done with you. How are you, honey? Check done with you. Now I'm free. No, the follow-up questions. Remember those? What's your favorite subject? Why? Who are your best friends? Why? When you go over to Johnny's house, are the parents even home? Maybe I need their cell phone numbers to see what's really going down over there. And then making the turn to that other person in the house. Remember them? They may or may not be there anymore. I'm not sure. How we doing, honey? You even happy? Whatever happened to that date night we promised each other 27 years ago? That never happened, did it? Sure never missed a meeting at work, made sure those were always a priority, just not this. Everyone, look, I'm gonna ask a question. It's gonna sting just a little bit, but everyone in this room is gonna know the answer the second I say it. So here it goes. Who gets the worst of us, the absolute worst of us? Say it. Family, but specifically say it spouse. So look, if that's not the case, congratulations, and I mean that, because that's not normal. If it is the case, here's the good news, everybody ready? It ends today. The reign of terror is over. <laughs> you wouldn't treat your best member or client that way ever, would you? They could cheat on you with a competitor, never return our calls or emails. 
We'd still be standing at the door going, we love you. We're ready to do business whenever you are. We go home, one thing goes wrong, the beast has been unleashed. I spoke in Mackinac Island, Michigan, 300 CEOs in that room. Two weeks after that event, I got an email from a woman I've never met in my entire life on an email address. She did some work to get a private one. You know what it said? I don't know who you are or what you really said in that meeting, but on behalf of my family, thank you. You see, for the first time in 15 years, my husband has been home early, engaged with me, engaged with the kids. He said he didn't know where he went wrong in life, but that you showed him the light. Guys, we have one shot at this. I just challenge you to be present now. Did I say not be present at work? No, it's the complete opposite. When you are present at work, and I mean really present at work, what are you gonna do? You're gonna get things done faster, better, you're gonna feel better about yourself so that you have more time to be more present at home anyway. I do executive coaching all the time. I won't say the state or the name because I'm very confidential, but I just got out of a situation where literally the guy said, hey Dan, uh, this is a guy running a $250 million company, you know, math, and he goes, Dan, uh, that whole fun part you're talking about, can you give me some examples? I thought he was going to laugh. He didn't. I'm like, well, tell me about your week. He goes, well, I you know, pretty much worked in the week, so I pretty much right off the week with the kids, but I've spent some weekends with them. You what? Are you insane? You, you just said you write off the weeks with your kids and you spend some weekends with them. I just challenge you to grade yourself right now. Right now, I want you to grade yourself, but here's how I want you to grade yourself. Not how would you grade yourself. No, 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 no. How would the family grade you right here, right now? Are they getting your worst? Are they getting your best? Are you present when you're there? Because come on, do you know that I even made up this thing, 50 things to do, for my clients, 50 things to do with your kids in an hour or less. Cook together, play ball, play games, play that game operation, let them hit the thing, buzz, everybody yells and screams, come on, have fun. Right? You can learn more with shuttling a kid to a sporting event by listening to them talk in the back seat or more in five minutes of throwing ball back and forth, you know, then you probably most parents learn in a week just going along their regular business. I challenge you to be present. See everyone, it all comes down to this. What is your leadership legacy? I'm gonna ask a question right now. There's no right or wrong to this answer, but I'm gonna ask you to, to write down the answer where it says your leadership legacy there on, uh, underneath that where, on the page. And by the way, this question is gonna mess with me mentally. So I will say it and then I won't be able to get it out of my head for the next couple hours until I say it again sometime. And don't start writing until I explain what it is, but here goes. How will your children, and by the way, if you don't have kids, no harm, no foul, literally just insert friend or family, it's the same answer, ready? How will your children Describe you to their children. Because you know the question's gonna be asked someday, right? Mom, dad, what was grandma really like? Mom, dad, what was grandpa really like? So here's how I want you to answer it right now. Not what they would say, no, 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 no. In your wildest fantasy, what would you want them to say? How would you want to be described when that question is asked? Because it will be. You can use six or seven words you can use two or three sentences. It's your legacy, it has nothing to do with me. But how would you want to be described when this question is asked? Just something to think about while you're writing the legacy. A child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual 
and he was talking for I knew it and as he grew he'd say I'm gonna be like you dad you know I'm gonna all right who wouldn't mind sharing with what you wrote down raise your hand come on somebody I like to remind people there's a leadership course so you'd expect your employees to raise your hand so go ahead and do it yourself <laughs> you know that's true by the way don't you yes Okay, that's awesome. So what words would they say though? Uh, for my dad, I would say he's my hero. Is your dad still alive? I hope you call him today, seriously, and tell him you just said that in front of a whole group of people. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, that's like every parent's dream. Can you imagine your son sitting here saying, I would want to be described like my dad, he's my hero? I mean, that's, but that's what I'm talking about, right? So, I mean, give me another one. That's awesome. Did you hear, did everybody hear that? Can you read that one more time? Just read it loud, read it loud. He was present, he was fun, he was fair. Taught me how to treat a lady, he was me. Love, laugh, and live. Okay, so first of all, you hit both words that I'm looking for. So everybody pencils down for a second. You gotta be honest with me. How, he said fun. How many of you had the word fun on your list? Raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't, May want to add it, just throwing it out there. Long life, not to have fun, is a major part of it. That's kind of, don't feel bad that self is fun and you still left it off. I don't feel anything personal about that. No. But so, you know, but why not? You also had the word love on there. Who had the word love on your sheet? Okay, if you didn't, may want to add it, just throwing it out there. Like long life, not to have fun and love as a major part of it. And that's kind of why I put that as self, right? Because I want, I'm on a mission to make sure people remember to have fun in life. And by the way, to be, for someone to say you're fun, what do you actually have to be? Fun. It can't be like, do you not remember the trip to the Grand Canyon seven years ago? We were there nine days for the love of God. You didn't have fun there? Oh, dad, we had fun. Yeah, lots of fun. Lots of fun. The problem is, just throwing it out there, you've been yelling at us nonstop for seven years. Okay? So sometimes the seven years of yelling outweigh the nine days of fun you choose to remember in your head. You actually have to be fun. Now, you also said present. Oh, my gosh, everyone. What does it take for somebody to say you are present in their life? You actually have to be what? There takes a lot of time, doesn't it? You know what I love about this? You know, here's my hope for you. Take this back. Think about it. Spend a little time on this one. Because here's the good news, everybody. If this isn't what they would say about you right now, who cares? You can't change it anyway. What can you change though moving forward? You can make this happen. But it starts with you. It starts with your actions, the way you Deal with others the way you communicate, the way you show love, the way you have fun, the way you are present in their lives. Right? Build that legacy. So I, so I have a book, Lead Like Reagan. Each chapter is how to create the vision. Do you know what Re the economy was like when Reagan took office under Carter? Horrible, wasn't it? Yet these are direct quotes. It's morning again in America. It's a new dawn in America. There's a shining city on the hill and we're at. Those were quotes within 24 hours of him taking office. You know what I love about life, everybody? I said it before, you can't change yesterday, this morning gone. You get to leave this conference. You get to walk back into your families. You get to walk back into your companies. You get to say, it's morning again. It's a new dawn. See, there's a shining family, a shining company on the hill and we're at. Here's how we're gonna get there. They want it, everybody. Be that visionary leader. He assembled the team. He communicated the message. He built coalitions. He took action. Do you know what he said, Mr. Gorbachev? Tear down this wall. That was taken out of his speech five times by the State Department. It was not allowed in his final version. What did he do anyway? He said it. Stand for what you believe in. Choose your battles. Don't make everything a battle because then nothing's special. But when you're willing to fight, fight for something you believe in. 
He handled crisis and ultimately he changed the world. How are you going to change your world? You know, we started out this morning talking about finding the pony in there somewhere, didn't we? We talked about the importance of the yes and versus yes but story, how you'll be remembered by the story that you tell about yourself and nothing different. So what story are you telling, everyone? We talked about the success story. You have eight seconds, everyone. After today, never tell somebody what you do. Tell them how you change the world. Tell them how you make a difference in society. Take that home. Do it with your kids. Do it with your family. Do it with your company. Shoot. Then we talked about emotional intelligence. Do you have CEO disease? Are you willing to do creative destruction? You know, how do you view crisis? After today, never, when you're in crisis, always find the opportunity. Let it empower and strengthen you. Fail forward in life. Teach that to your kids. Teach that to your employees. And then we went to a leadership. We went to leadership. We talked about the wooden pyramid. You even created a wooden pyramid. Take that back. Do it with your teams. Do it with your family. What is your purpose? What are your values? What do you hold dear? And then we talked about Reagan's traits. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? You wrote down four names of people that you're going to call today. Do that on a regular basis. Nothing good, good, good things will come out of that. And then let humor be part of your life. Don't take yourself too seriously. And then expand that kitchen cabinet. You wrote down five names and a date by which you're going to call these people. Do that. Expand. Who has your ear? Get the right people surrounding you. And the right, you know, the sky's the limit. And then we talked about work-life presence. You know what my hope is after today? You know what the family says to you four weeks from now? Who are you? Keep bringing that person home. This has been amazing. Everyone, be present. Let them have your best, your absolute best. Treat them like your best client, your best member. And then finally, we talked about legacy. Take that home. Spend a little time working on it. Understand that, you know, don't think all is lost. Matter of fact, it's all just beginning, everybody. Make it happen. Here's my hope. Somewhere in all of that, I'm not asking you to do all these things. Just choose one or two. But change your swing. Change your format. Or like Randy Rhodes, learn something new. Because guess what, everyone? It's showtime. So I'll end with this because I think it's just so symbolic of life. Remember I told you my older son graduated from Pepperdine a few years ago? Well, imagine going back like six years ago, his freshman year. He's a, you know, parents weekend. We're in Florida at the time. He's, he invites us all out to California for parents weekends. So we're like, absolutely, we'll come. I, they, I looked at the schedule for parents weekend. There's two and a half days long. The last half of Sunday it had arrows up and it's at noon. It said, free time with your family. So I go, Justin, what are we doing? He goes, five hour hike. Two hours at the top, two hours back. The reward at the top, one hour at this waterfall, the whole hike overlooks the Pacific Ocean in Malibu, Dad, you're gonna love it. Absolutely, count us in. We show up at the bottom, we pull up, Justin pulls up in a car next to us, he's like, Dad, I brought a backpack, I've got waters, towels for everybody, you don't need to carry anything, just enjoy yourself. Now at that moment, who's the happiest dad in the world? Because who's usually carrying all this stuff? I'm carrying, so I'm like, finally, responsible. You know, he's 6'3", he's strapping kid. Two hours at the top, we get there. Justin goes, hey, we're all sweaty, dirty. And Justin goes, hey, could I ask everybody a favor? Do you guys mind taking a seat on this log next to this waterfall? I brought something I'd like to read all of you. So I'm like, like, oh, shoot. Like, you know, I look at my wife. We're kind of actually concerned at this moment. Like, what the heck is he going to tell us? And he takes out a sheet of paper and he goes, "Um, The Station by Robert Hastings. And I'll paraphrase it for a second, but essentially it says, you're traveling by train across an entire continent You look out the windows and you soak in the scenes of row upon row of wheat and barley, city skylines, mountain ridges, desert streams, and yet uppermost our subconscious is the station. Because one day we will pull in that station, everything will finally be perfect. Bands will be playing, flags will be waving. And I love this part, it cuts away and it lists these milestones that certain people think are the most important in life. It says, when I turn 18, when I turn 21, 
when I meet my spouse, when we have our first child, when I get that dream Mercedes, when they graduate from college, when I retire, everything will finally be perfect. And he goes, but sooner or later you realize there is no one station, everyone. The journey is the joy. So stop damning the minutes and counting the miles. Instead, swim more rivers. And he looks at all of us and he goes, climb more mountains. Smile more, cry less. The station will come soon enough. He looks at all of us, he goes, thank you all for coming up here with me today. You guys, we have one shot at this. I challenge you to leave this meeting and live, lead, and in the end, leave a meaningful legacy. And always remember, if you can't change the world, just change one life. You guys, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. This has been Education Elevated on the FLCMA Podcast Network. Download other episodes on a myriad of different topics for anyone in your club or organization, regardless of their job title or description. We'll see you next time.